0: John, back to sense space. It's great to be here again, Jacob. I really enjoyed our last conversation. It's a real pleasure, John. Um, Yeah, it's great to have a a scholar and a friend of wisdom seekers such as yourself back. Um, And I really enjoyed that conversation. A lot of people reached out to me afterwards, um, seemed to resonate with it. Uh, I ended up having a conversation with discord community um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know a friend a friend who i just had on sense Base, joseph pickens um who, who you might not know yet but uh, he reached out to me after the conversation as well and we oh. really clicked on our backgrounds in a <coughs> uniquely like- synchronous way so well that's good news i'm glad that our
1: conversation
0: afforded you so many good connections that's great to hear so uh, a little different from our last conversation, which was sure. totally un, um, no sort of agenda. Right,
1: right, um, right.
0: There's a couple of things I talked about when I reached out to you, one of which was to kind of build on <laughs> our last conversation where we explore sure. dialectic um, yeah. and sort of building on your work, have been exploring a lot about the dialectical nature of of being, of reality right. uh, yeah. and that's become a sort of, um, a way of understanding a lot of different lenses and levels of experience. Um, and sort of one of the, one of the fruits of that has been this idea of the meta practitioner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With, um, and yeah, seeing how we can, I, I feel the, the, the ideas about trauma and logos are somehow going to interact in here as well so sure sure. we're going to thread all the pieces together and i'm going to try and remember that i don't know where it's going Um, (laughs) be listening for something that i haven't heard yet sure um well um I
1: suppose maybe a good place to start is um, some work that I've recently done with Christopher Mastipietro. Uh, Two pieces of work. One is we edited and contributed to an anthology called Internet of of Dialogues, which is at the publishers right now. And so there was a lot there, a lot of reflection on dialectic into Dialogos and what's going on there. And then more recently we've submitted an article uh, seeking publication about the relationship between dialectic as a practice and the ability to overcome uh, nihilism. And we were using that, that framework to integrate some of the fundamental insights about the dialectical nature of being, drawn from the Neoplatonic tradition, and the work of the Kyoto School, especially Nishitani, about overcoming uh, n- nihilism. And as you can imagine, uh, this could get very, very airy and abstract very quickly, so I'll try and keep it as, as basic as possible. And the, and the idea is, dialectic is a practice that at many levels and in, 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 in sort of increasing disclosure uh, helps you to overcome uh, sort of the subject-object divide, the way in which consciousness normally is egocentrically oriented, and we have sort of an Aristotelian logic, uh, 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 where identities are just A equals A kind of identity, and that's our sort of normal everyday cognition. And and what Nishitani argued um, is that as long as we're within that framework, two things are bound to happen together. Uh, We're bound to eventually hit nihilism because we're going to find ourselves thrown towards a kind of absolute skepticism or solipsism. Um, but we won't it won't throw us hard enough. It won't throw us clear from it, because we'll still stay entrenched within that sort of cultural cognitive grammar. And what Nishitani proposed is we need to know how to doubt so deeply that we can actually doubt the cognitive cultural grammar that throws us into nihilism, that that egocentric subject-object, uh, you know, uh Aristotelian logic uh state of mind, uh, sort of a monoculture, a monologue of cognition. And what Chris and I were arguing is that the practice of genuine dialectic um, in the Socratic form, because it gets you to confront aporia. To, to put it, to put it sort of a little bit of a slogan, the way you get into the great doubt is by uh, is by really opening up Socratic wonder, and Socratic wonder in the practice of dialectic, and when it becomes dialogos, when it takes on a life of its own, and you, both people get drawn beyond themselves they get drawn into a process uh that's outside their own individual uh, egocentric perspectives they're open to identifying with someone and a view other than themselves and then internalizing it and then going through a process of self-transcendence in which they other from themselves and then re-identify so they're breaking standard aristotelian logic i mean even hegel saw that with respect to the dialectic But not as a conceptual thing, as a thing that's going on at the level of their lived, you know, perspectival participatory engagement and identity formation, etc. Um, and so we argued that the dialectic um, can, if it taps deeply into its Socratic roots and its Neoplatonic culmination, can actually give us this higher-order practice by which we can challenge the fundamental. Uh, cultural cognitive grammar of nihilism, and we can turn the nothingness of nihilism into the nothingness of non-duality and shunyata, which opens us back up to um, the 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 deepest kind of connected the deepest kind of connections we can have at the procedural and the perspectival and the participatory level. So the argument is that we have the potential uh, by doing something which right because the Kyoto School was already trying to bridge East and West, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the potential for creating a, through this very uh, cross-cultural, uh, pra- uh, this co- cross-cultural theoretical integration, an understanding of the process, uh, the practice of dialectic into dialogos that would help us give people a genuine reason and uh, to have hope that they have a response to nihilism that actually takes in practice, that takes in the pro- that t- is going to be found within the process of them meeting other people, going through development, um, internalizing other perspectives, exacting our fundamental cognitive and developmental machinery. So we think that it's plausible that um, dialectic into dialogos is going to be um, not not in our particular version, but the family of these practices that are emerging so prevalently uh, right now in the West, um, I think they they can be put into, uh, sorry for the pun, into dialogue with both our own Socratic Neoplatonic roots and with the cross-cultural work done by the Kyoto School to give us a deep response to the ongoing trauma that we experience and label as nihilism. So it takes nihilism, I mean, this is going to piss the nihilists off. It takes nihilism. <laughs> it's going to piss off the nihilists it, because what we do is we and what Nishitani argues, and this is how he argues against Nietzsche and others is the nihilists don't take the nothingness far enough. They don't take the nothingness far enough. They don't have the machinery that literally encourages us enwraps wraps us in wonder um, mm. so that we can, re-realize do like a fundamental aspect shift We can re-realize the nothingness as the no-thingness that you know was at the center uh, you can see sort of at the center of Zen and therefore at the center in many ways of Taoism and Buddhism so that's the argument that's what we've been currently working on
0: awesome um, that was a lot there and yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, part of what I'm uh, realizing and exploring this this idea of a meta practitioner and kind of mm-hmm. drawing on some of the conversations you've had around, you know, what might be a kind of shamanic um, sort of polymath type role to respond yeah. to the contemporary uh, meaning crisis, which sure. is kind of for people who don't know. You have been the sort of main articulator and mm-hmm. sort of expanding on the depth and history of why uh, the crisis of meaning today is is quite deep um, yes. and unique. Um, so part of that is sort of coming into uh, coming to try and sort of translate and put what you're telling me into dialogue with all the other conversations that I'm having. Um, And part of that move that I sort of realized over the last few months was um, that I was sort of speaking to uh, teachers, sages, people that I was really drawn to speak to, but I wasn't really um, engaging horizontally as much. Mm. So Mm. the move that I've, recently been exploring is just sort of putting myself out there into certain like communities just for practicing this. Excellent. This sort of dialectic, yeah. um, with people and what you come up against very quickly when you're doing that is nobody knows what the fuck dialectic <laughs> means. Yeah. Um, yeah, And yeah. Don't, they don't have a relationship with, um, socrates and i don't have a huge relationship with socrates except through your work so that's something we've lost
1: in the west right we used Mm to we used to have a very extensive uh relationship um yeah the the, it's a funny thing though you're right Uh, totally jacob you meet and you try to you know, and that's what, why we're doing all this work. If, if if what you described wasn't the case, there would be no need for the work, right? But the thing is, once the thing like we and Chris and I wrote about this, there's this weird other thing this phenomenological thing is once people get into it, like where they and 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 they and they learn how to start doing it, and they right and they start, they'll say things like, oh, they they act like I always like there's this weird anamnesis, right? Oh, I, you know, that, yes, I, I always knew that this is what I was always looking for. They, they, they act like, and I don't mean they act as if they're seeming, there's no pretense involved. They're authentically saying, right, 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 this has always been here in some sense, but I didn't really know. And so we tried, what we're trying to do is try to articulate people, you know, well, where does dialectic come from in relationship to everyday conversation? like what is the relationship between just everyday discourse everyday everyday discussion and full blown dialectic and, and so uh, that's also what we tried to articulate in the paper because we think that there is a deep continuity uh, I think the deep continuity is the best way to explain these two what seem like opposite results. people like you said don 't know what the heck they're supposed to be doing, and then once they start doing it it's like they just they turn on and they oh and they Oh, right. And they do all this. I feel like I'm coming home and there's get all this religious language, often from very secular, otherwise skeptical people about this process and what's going on. Um, and so I think that there's, I mean, the best way to account for that is that there's a deep continuity uh, between what's going on in dialectic and what's going on in just everyday discussion. And you just have to we worked out sort of a hierarchical model about the relationship between uh, discussion, debate, and dialectic in order to try and articulate uh, that relationship. So, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll just say what it is briefly. So the idea is, um, you know, uh, and it makes, w- makes use of a lot of the work of, of, of a philosopher at the foundation of a branch of linguistics called pragmatics, um, uh, which is, is Grice. And So the central insight of Grice is, um, and there's an episode where I do this in the, in the series, is we always have to be conveying much more than we can say. Because if we try to put in everything we're conveying into our words, we get like this explosion, a combinatorial explosion of everything we're trying to say. We just get into this infinite regret of trying to. So what we rely on is we rely on a lot of
0: non propositions stuff Especially positive. as an academic.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 Exactly, especially as an academic. So what happens, Grace talked about, like, we have a basic maximum that we're cooperating. Um, And so what happens is, if you were to say, uh, you know, excuse me, I'm out of milk, right? Um, I don't think that you want to lactate, for example. And I, I don't think that you are expecting me to have milk right on my person, right? And I make all these assumptions that you mean the milk of a cow and that you want to consume it. Right. And you want it in a container. You don't want me to throw it on your face. Right. Like, and we and we and we know all those expectations are there because if I vi- violate any one of them, you're surprised and angry. Right. Um, and you, we, we got a sense of how much milk you you're asking of me. You're probably maybe asking for a cup or a container. If I give you a drop or I give you a, you know, a, a truckload, it's like, well, wait, wait, that's not what I was asking for. So there's all of this machine that we're always conveying more than we're saying. Now in everyday discussion, that's against a background, right? A a, a shared background uh, of cooperation. Now what happens is right, we can we can come to a place where we realize that we're not in agreement about something, that we may have beliefs that are contrasting to each other. So we move to the level of debate. And then what we do there is we carry on the debate until we hopefully get to some resolution where we can get back to cooperation and then we go back to just being just being able to discuss and live our social lives. And we have thought for a very long time like our society's paid attention to those two levels a lot. The problem we're facing now is what do you do when right the higher order so even when we're debating there's a higher order assumption of cooperation there's a there's a shared model of rational normativity. What happens when that's undermined? You can't debate your way through that so if you're up against a nihilist right you are going to try and debate with them they're not going to want, they're not going to you're going to try and invoke you need to play by these rules of the rules of debate and they're going to go, they're going to they're going to throw some you know very trenchant skepticism or they're going to withdraw into a kind of solipsism and then you and, and if you stay in debate right you, right you're not going to get any resolution and then what you have to do is you have to move to the level of dialectic. And dialectic is how do we get back? How, what do we do to reconform ourselves to each other and to the world so that we once again get a shared sense of co- cultural cognitive normativity? We, we, we get a shared culture of how we're going to interact with each other so that we can then drop back down to the level of debate so we can resolve our theoretical disputes. And drop back down to the level of living our lives. And so in the the thing about dialectic is you only get there after these other levels have come into question. But the you're still using the shame machinery. You're still ultimately relying on the pragmatics. Even in everyday discussion, remember what I said, most of what how I'm giving meaning to you is in terms of what I'm conveying, not what I'm saying. And as you go up the level, it goes more and more into that. When you get to the level of dialectic, it's, it's purely pragmatic. You're just trying to convey to each other so that you get back into communing with each other so that the communication needed for debate is possible so that debate can be resolved and put us back into everyday discussion. And so when you're engaging in dialectic, although you're using propositions the pragmatics is way more important than the propositions the propositions are basically vehicles by which we try to become aware of how we are trying to convey and co- and co-create a new kind of shared intelligibility so that we can come together and we can actually effectively debate each other instead of in an adversarial pro, pro- process it's very much like um you know many people have said what's going on what's going w- wrong or w- the difficulties facing the united states right now is debate has died because <clears throat> both parties have lost a shared overarching commitment to america and to democracy they w- they they right they don't have the shared normativity anymore they they're not moving in the same cultural space at all and and the debate mechanism doesn't work for resolving that it just gridlocks and what people are looking for incohately mostly is how do we get back to so to the place where we share something we share the space in which we are willing to debate again in a fruitful and functional fashion rather than gridlocking so that we can solve those problems so that we can get back down to just talking to each other and living our lives again. So that's the basic argument in a nutshell.
0: I I really wanna draw out this aspect of embodying the the thing that you're communicating rather than it existing on the propositional level. Uh, Yeah,
1: so I apologize. I mean, I I don't like to do this. I'm getting in a bit of a poor formative contradiction here. I mean, I'm I'm talking all about conveyance and embodiment and you know the co-creation through communing rather than just speaking, um and listening as much as speaking and opening up to the other as much as and all I did was present a treatise to you. So I I welcome this. We need to shift back into yes, what well, let, like let's, let's try and do it with each other.
0: Hmm. So there's something about. Um something about this quality of dialectic, um, which perhaps, you know, if you were to encounter a Socrates or a Jesus or a Buddha on the road, um, he's quite unlikely to announce to you, uh, you know, his scholarly or religious um, authority. I think the way that, um, or, or the shaman for that matter, or the meta practitioner or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. shows up relationally always and contextually because mm-hmm. they're embodying this spirit of dialectic. So I'm not going to come into a conversation with any given person with a totally prefixed agenda of where I want it to go. Yeah. Um, and the underlying orientation, has to be towards a greater greater ease, friendship, um, a sense of a shared inquiry towards truth, um, which of course necessitates uh, a sense that truth is a is a possibility mm-hmm. um, and something that we can experience in the same way we ex- experience beauty um, yes. in the world, and so. In order to, to show up in this way, as I am, you know, doing the work of attempting to do now, making myself available to people, jumping into these conversations for an hour or 90 minutes with no idea really where it's going to go, I feel I'm honing somehow this, this skill set. Um, and especially in a context where we don't necessarily, you know, the topic of dialogos. And what that is, this, this notion of um, a sort of emergent truth and, uh, and an intimacy in relationship yeah. to a kind yeah. of felt sense of mystery coming yes. between two people, uh, that doesn't get named until um, there's a sense of, of, of demonstrating it, I guess. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, so this is this is where the distinction between the language of explaining and the language of training is really important. What I was doing a few minutes ago was explaining it to you, um, uh, because uh, well, what theory is supposed to help us see, but it's, it's not it's not the same thing as, as doing it. Yeah, I mean, when you're entering into this process, uh, what, what, I mean, typically what you do is you do practices just to get a flowing intimacy going and you, and you shift people out of there's it's a sequence of practices. You do, you basically try to get people into a collective flow state where uh, they are flowing with each other. There's the back and forth between them, but you also try to get them. And and this is, goes back to the earlier point. You, You have to, you have to, Shift them. I don't want. I don't want it to sound so manipulative, but that's the best language I have right now. You're trying to get them out of that egocentric orientation that's locking them in. Um, you're trying to get them to be open to being coupled to the process. So what's emerging, as you said, you're trying to get people. So for me, uh, what you what you're really trying to do is you're trying to you're trying to get people to cooperate to wonder together um there remember i was saying that that's how we're that's how you get people to confront um what is beyond you try to get people into a a state of um um, insight but not the kind of insight in which we're going to get an answer it's the kind of insight that opens up the wonder even more so that we start co-wondering together we start wandering together um, over the landscape of intelligibility and we we help each other to see what we couldn't see before but we're also encouraging each other your presence helps me deal with the threat because i have a sense that you're there for me if you know if this gets a little too ooh you know that's because you know if you push if, mm. you, if you if you call too much into question too quickly people get like ah right But also, if you don't call enough into question, people get satisfied. They get self-satisfied. We have a good term for that, right? And so you're trying to get this optimal grip, this sweet spot of co-wondering where you and I are mutually affording wandering over the landscape of intelligibility, seeing what we couldn't see before. And because of your encouragement of me, I'm more liable to see the emergence as something beautiful. Mm. Or maybe awe inspiring rather than horrifying or threatening or defensive, and hopefully I am doing the same for you i am in I am affording you to wander right and and encouraging you so that 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 emerging sense and here 's the thing right if we if we if we start to get into that and we 're playing with it rather than trying to bring back things that we 're going to tell our friends later or whatever. Uh, you know, and we all do this, uh, that whatever egocentric narcissism is at work, but if we we, there's, we we can also get to a place where the presence of that process of beautiful emerging intelligibility we start to do it for its own sake, and we start to love it for its own sake and what that does and and, and there's no words that can do it, this shifts you from seeing reality in this sort of hard subject object thing mm-hmm. you know way and it opens you up to the presencing the presencing out of nothingness right because like you said that's that's another word for mystery that where does this keep coming from where does all this where does all this moreness and deter like where does all this intelligibility keep coming from and it seems to have this life of its own that's beyond you and me and if we can get to that place where we can sense that and find it awe-inspiring and beautiful, rather than terrifying and threatening, we can come to internalize it, identify it with it, and then we are outside of the very framework that traps us into that kind of adversarial uh, position. And so, now what I want to talk talk to you—that's what I mean. I want to shift into this is the this is what you want to do to get into the practice there's a big difference between this is what you do to understand what it might mean as a cognitive scientist right and how it might be relevant to nihilism but how do we do it well that's what we do right and so i have to i have to sensitize myself to the superlative because if I, if, I, if, if I experience the loss of all of this structure, just as the collapse of being, I will experience this process as privation, as mm-hmm. loss, as nihilism, right? Uh, 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 Porf- yeah, Porphyry calls it uh, the collapse of being, right? But if I can sensitize, it, sensitize myself to the very same process as superlative, as going beyond being, And pointing me to that from which being constantly emerges, then the nothingness, I can experience it. We can experience it together, which makes it even more real. I can experience that as nothingness. I can experience that as the permanent real possibility of a new shared culture and cognition that allows us to re-commune together.
0: So there's something really important that's been coming out of your dialogues, which has been this exploration, not just of dialectic as we've talked about it, but that the embodiment of that understanding of dialectic actually means being in dialectic, in conversation, we can say more accessibly, in conversation between experience and dialectic. Yeah, totally Instead, both, both in the sense of, I want to now reconnect my experience with the dialectic we're having, but also in the course of my listening to you, I'm attempting to hold this dialectic between what's coming up for me in my brain and what I want to say next, and then yeah. coming back out to you. Yep. Yep. And yep. to not within the first few moments, have figured out what I want to say and now be in a state of waiting (laughs) for you to finish. say Um, so it's a listening, it's there's almost a total entanglement of listening and dialectic because in order to be embodying it, we're listening constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going um, to this dialectic occurring both within ourselves. Um, and then, you know, part of my, sort of playful expansion on this in the last few weeks has been to consider how we are, uh, how this kind of maps onto all of the most important aspects of our lives. Um, for example, our most meaningful relationships can be considered a dialectic or a conversation that occurs over a long period of time yeah, yeah, yeah. between yeah. you and your partner. Um, the parent and the child, um, the, the relationship that you have, and that I've recently discovered since uh, I, well, I actually moved to Berlin since we last spoke, I was in Athens. Yeah. Uh, I followed my intuition to visit a, a woman in Berlin that I've been talking with and now I'm thankfully in a lovely relationship with.
1: Congratulations.
0: So, thank you yes it's the it's a happy happy occurrence of this year um and somehow um you know somehow faith affirming in reality i guess that i should create this uh you know we met a year before but she actually got in touch with me when i produced the first episode of sense space and put it up oh wow wow so and what was really interesting i've been in this men's group uh that i connected through rebel wisdom um talking about uh men's experience and trauma but really in a way that doesn't sort of focus on trauma in isolation but actually uh is a kind of opening up of possibility space right right right. awesome um and uh, Andre Andre Pellegrini, who runs it, who's really brilliant, um, he reflected to me like sense space. That kind of sounds like the opposite of trauma. Um, oh, good. And so That's I good. was, you know, I I think I spoke to you about this the first time we met. But I really got into dialectic. I got into uh, engaging outwardly with the world more with this, out of being in the meaning crisis. Yep. Um, at the deepest, most embodied level possible. Um, and so, here we are.
1: Can I ask you a question then?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because there, there, this, right, th- this, well, there's several questions I want to ask, Well, let's ask the first one. Th- this, because I think there's a part of this that's really important, um, and uh, it was lacking in what I what I've previously said, and I, and I think, and it really points to, the nexus of embodiment because you t- you talked about sort of if you'll allow me to use some directional metaphors you talked about sort of the internal up and down between sort of the conceptual and and the, and the perceptual if you will right you're you're moving mm. back and forth between right um, you know what how you're thinking and then how you're actually coupling to the world so there's this but you said that's sort of a vertical dimension right you're, right and, and and then you talked about the horizontal between us. And and then I think you said something really, really important, keeping those two right in sync with each other. So they stay in touch with each other. So you sort of optimally balanced between them. That to me, that to me, that that's, that's the crucial, that's the crucial thing that that's, that's the point of, you know, uh, uh, of, you know, the most authentic embodiment and engagement and enactment. So what does it, sorry, I don't mean to sound therapeutic, but what does it feel like when those are in sync? Because you brought it up. And what does it feel like when they're out of sync? Mm-hmm. How, 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 are you, how are you feeling your way through that? And of course, I don't mean just tingly feelings in your body. I mean, as much your conceptual awareness, your mm-hmm. preemptive awareness, right? Your inactive awareness, your perceptual awareness. What does it feel like when they're in sync? And what does it feel like when they're out of sync?
0: Okay, this is hopefully gonna come out nicely <laughs> um, somehow connect with the Christianity thing that we were riffing that's, on before that's, that's fine that's fine um so uh there's something important about dropping into uh you know zach talks about pre tragic post tragic uh zach Stein. Zach yeah Stein. Zach Stein, um connecting with uh trauma can actually be the movement from a greater disconnection from self to a move into um, a process, which is affording of a deeper connection to, to self. So, um, and I've been, you know, in this work for about a year and a half or more. And so it's been, it's been a, it's been a, very important aspect of my life and it's been actually where most of my insights, um, and a sense of a kind of, um, there's a, there's a sort of, uh, axis of movement into embodiment mm-hmm. where it feels as if you're getting closer and closer to the physicality of experience. Uh, oh. and we, it's, it's very difficult to not start using languages like energy um, or yeah. energetically um, yeah. when we get into this because the state of trauma I've ultimately found is a state of fragmentation. Yes. Um, and so that fragmentation tells you, uh, you experience it as a contraction of your reality, sort of shrinking yeah. in as you sort of showed with your hands. Um, but there's also a narrative contraction as well. And a sort of incapacity to see, to perceive that you rest within a process. Uh, You are now defined by this state of fragmentation that you're in. And there's a kind of, um, a story that you're telling yourself and, you know, you are in dialogue with your body always, I believe when you are in the process of trauma, uh, integration. So there's something about, there is an art, I guess, which for me, a lot of it has been to do with the compulsion to connect more, the compulsion to come into a deeper relationship with creativity. Um, and the, and the capacity to have enough trust in relationship that someone else can then communicate to you when you are in the state of fragmentation. Mm. Mm. And so I began to wonder whether my view of trauma to be fully integrated uh, necessitated that trauma itself be on an axis in relationship to... Um, we can talk about what it might be, but something like creativity or sure. a greater connection with world. Um, and so I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. So uh,
1: let me, let me, let me see if I'm understanding you. So it sounds like what you're saying is like, right, part of it is that you're moving from a sense of being fragmented within yourself to being sort of more connected to yourself and that, that is also expressing itself in right, a movement towards sensing an increased connection to other people in the sense not just of what's happening in the moment, but also in a sense of, 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 of more permanent, a sense of a more permanent possibility that it's emerging in you. Like you're getting a sense of, I could be more connected than I am. I could be more in connection to others than I am. And that start and you is that what? And I don't know if I'm right or wrong here, but I thought I heard you saying that sense of that sense that you're moving towards overcoming inner fragmentation and affording um, more real connection to others. That that sense is a kind of trust in you, but because the process is, is 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 like it's creative. Do you mean that it's growing, but it's growing in a way that it keeps pace with your ability to make sense of it because I could imagine stuff emerging and it would be like, ah, that's not creativity, right? Creativity is appropriate novelty, right? So there's novelty coming up, but you can appropriate it. I'm not saying it's painless. I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to paint it with rose colored glasses, but it sounds to me like what you've got is that you've got a, a sense of well, I would call it like encouragement, trust in the creativity because you've got something going on here where this connection and this connection are reliably now starting to support each other, talk to each other. And it keeps making, it keeps introducing, it keeps taking you a step further out of the cave, uh, but it keeps helping you adjust your eyes to the new, the new things you're seeing. Is that... Am I, am I over-reading it? Am I under-reading it? Am I misreading what you're saying?
0: Okay, this might, this might go in an unexpected direction, but I have a sense that uh, in the process of coming into confrontation or awakening to, or, you know, we can consider that uh, you know part of Part of what awakened in me when my uh, dropping into deep experiences and trauma opened me up to the world was a deeper relationship with nature, right? right. In which I observed the repetition of branching patterns throughout the natural world, throughout the human body, uh, and also in man-made structures like you know if you look at the Roman roads of Europe, and so there's something that I found incredibly meaningful and a source of solace in that. And as I continued to return to it, um, as it became an aspect of my being, which gave me meaning in the context of the meaning crisis, my thought became more informed by these patterns and Ah. I allowed that to take place. Um, and there's something, there's a deep wisdom within these patterns. And so my first sort of foray into articulating that has been that the landscape of trauma, best term I could come up with, um, that we can understand the nature of the self and the nature of trauma by, by an understanding and relationship to these branching patterns.
1: Yes. So yes. The
0: self. You know, I see John as a single individual, but actually John is constituted by, Uh, you know, he's the trunk of the tree, and actually, he's also the roots going out into the soil. And that soil, you know, thicker branches is your upbringing, your parents, your grandparents, meaningful interactions, and then down to smaller and smaller. And then I played further with it and I said that, um, the circumstance we arrive at in adulthood may well be that we have certain branches which are illuminated to us and certain branches which are in shadow. Right. This right. is trauma. It's disconnection from aspects of self and experience which actually constitute you. Yeah. So the process of moving from pre-tragic to post-tragic, the process of attaining deeper levels of wisdom and relationship to reality, I would suggest, is of become coming into awareness and then connecting those roots into world. And so the more parts of self that you integrate, um, the more sort of branches that your tree needs to have. And so if you were living a very sort of constricted, narrow and pointed life, um, where you just did the same thing over and over again, like working a dull office job, um, actually, getting the opportunity, which many people in our society don't have to step out of that in the way that would allow you to drop in to those deeper um, disconnections. You might need to change the way that you're being in order to um, be in relationship with these fuller aspects of self. And so for me, it's been, you know, um, not doing kinds of you know work and uh, a relationship to work that's traumatizing to me because it's not actually in connection with my body. Uh, discovering drawing, discovering music, um, discovering connection, and I think we have to begin to f- find the way in which this becomes our superpower so to speak. Um, that, you know, initially when you drop into this, you're going to be, uh, naked and incredibly sensitive energetically in ways that people who haven't been through this process will not understand, but your sensitivity to, um, the energetics of people and environments, uh, become incredibly heightened. Yes. Part of that is because you, uh, your body is in anticipation or fear of the thing that dramatized you. But in the process of integrating that, you don't lose those sensitivities. You integrate them now um, and you learn how to have proper boundaries. Um, and so maybe you can see how i how this might connect with our thread of Christianity. Um, where, I f- where I feel we have something about a community being created and a narrative that we can all hold fast to yeah. something about a deep embodied reckoning with the historical inheritance of trauma Christianity is not, has not been fit to respond to um, and then something about something about boundaries as well in there as well. Like you come you often come out of a religious context with a different relationship to, to boundaries yeah, relationships in the church or something are not, um, not so well developed in, in that respect.
1: I, what you said was just, oh, just so beautiful. I, uh, so when you talked about the walking in nature, um, so Nishitani defines the essence of religion. He's not talking about it historically or dogmatically. He calls it the self-realization of reality. And what, so when you went out and you saw the branching pattern simultaneously without and within, and that pattern was not objective or subjective, but transjective. And mm-hmm. you, real, a, a, you realized as you're realizing that pattern, it's realizing itself in you. That's what nishitani means that's that moment that's that moment and that's that moment you know we, we talk about in you know in dialectic where you're getting that conformity you're, you're, the, the pattern within and the pattern without are resonating and they're opening you up and then I noticed that in your metaphor you're, you, you're, you're foregrounding the rooting, but you've got which is the emergence right upward mm-hmm. but you've got sunlight in your metaphor right and that's that's the emanation. The sunlight is the illumination, the, the intelligibility. Well, that's how I'm feeling, it. right? And because and, you talked about, you, you know, it's in the shadow, which means you can't see it. You can't make sense of it. And it's threatening. And it's, and so what you so again, you're doing this, the, the image, right? It's like an icon for you. Like, and it's not, it's not a metaphor. That's the thing, right? It's not, it's, you're not literally saying that everything's a tree. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you're not just speaking a metaphor because you're saying, no, no like it's neither literal nor metaphorical it's beyond them it's participatory right you're seeing that you and the trees are both act like in a in a literal we say a equals a right in a metaphor we say think of a as think of b as a mm-hmm. but what you're actually saying is a and b both point upward or downward whatever metaphor you want right to something that they both participate in the branching in me and the branching out there in the world are both you know siblings of the branching of reality the way reality realizes itself and you, you use this dropping into metaphor about you you like you're like you're getting in sync with that lower mm-hmm. connectivity that's why you use the root right because they sink in right and they reach into the ground and they draw nourishment From it, but you're right. It's just do you see and what you do and you what you learn to do in dialectic. One of the things you do is you learn to celebrate these iconic images, right? That are that are neither literal nor metaphorical, but are iconic and participatory. And what you you try and get people to move into them, like the way you did spontaneously. You inhabited it. You relived it, and you were opening it up. And then, like what I what did with you, I would say, but what about the sunlight? tell me more about the sunlight in your icon. So Jacob, tell me more about the sunlight in your icon. Cause it's there. What's it doing?
0: It's, um, <laughs> it's utterly confounding to be honest with you. Okay. Um, it's well, it starts out with the relief of, of being in, in safety, ultimately right. in relationship, uh, and then from there uh, there's a certain uh, sort of letting go that can then be a fully participating. Um, right. And what I wanted to, to sort of riff to throw on that because we talk so much about logos and how with this dialectic we're eventually reaching um, a dialogos Uh yeah. I believe that nature or in particular, these branching patterns and what they, um, what they convey to us is kind of the logos of nature, but perhaps not just nature, um, reality itself. Right. And so we, we don't just look at, um, we don't just take this branching pattern to the self, and to the past, we take it out into the world as well. And we say to individuals with these branching patterns, why is it that traumatized people continually find the person that corresponds with their trauma?
1: Right. does someone
0: who has um, a fear of being attacked or something, I've seen this many times, particularly with women, continually attract the predator who somehow is energetically detecting this. The dark side of this is that um, there's a certain inevitability in our trauma that we're not conscious of finding its partner. But the beauty of it is to understand that somehow, as we move through each relationship um, and play these things out, the, the, the logos of the trauma itself is to come to be resolved through relationship. Uh, so is,
1: is the light then the, the understanding that's available from the logos? Like just try to feel the light. Like in your metaphor, you, you, you looked up, you did this, right? You did this and you opened your hands like a
0: branching tree and you opened your eyes. What are you looking up to? I'm looking at the stars, John. Yeah, I'm going out at night and I'm finding the spots where the the street don't block out the sky, and I'm looking up at the stars. And then I'm coming. And what does that up. convey
1: to you? What does that, What does that convey to you when you're looking at the stars? Like, how do you become different than you normally are when you're looking at the stars?
0: Uh, it's bliss <laughs> it's a kind of bliss and it's uh you know it's sort of emanating out of your you can feel it on your whole exterior uh, it's a deep participatory sort of feeling um and you start like as you do this dance between experience and narrative and you, you play all of these reciprocal games the fruit of it is more artfulness your yeah. conversation becomes more artful, um, and hopefully if you're if you 're you know doing what i 'm calling meta practitioner you 're not just doing dialectic you're uh, exploring a whole suite of different practices yeah. with an expanded notion such that you know inquiry into nature inquiry into music trying something you didn 't know how to do before um, all of these things come within the remit of deeper participation with wild and you're finding wisdom and you're listening. Right. Right. All different sort of dimensions. Like the tree branching out into the light. That's really beautiful. That's really beautiful.
1: How do you feel sort of connecting those two images together, those two icons, looking at the star and being the tree, like you were, you are enacting both of them together. How does that, how do they resonate to each with each other inside of you?
0: Feels really good, John. Feels like I'm right where it should be. Um, I know you've got to jump off in a minute, but I think I'm gonna be uh, feeling pretty blissed out and glowed up for having <laughs> these beautiful topics with you uh, afterwards.
1: Well, thank you. That was wonderful. And, like, I, and I thank you, that was courageous. I thank you for, for, for indulging me because we moved between theory, the discussion, and then we moved into theoria the actual contemplative practice of doing dialectic right and, and getting into like really unfolding and unpacking you know and, and notice how we, we keep we we keep trying to say what we can ultimately only convey and we keep doing that and it and then what it does is it enlivens us it awakens us and it gets us right to what you said, like people, they shift, they do this fundamental, they're capable of this fundamental shift from a sense of privation to a sense of what's superlative, what is beyond, like the stars. And I think that is ultimately how people can respond to nihilism. I do have to jump, Jacob. I want to do this again with you. I want to follow up. I think this is an excellent second of a video, right? Because the first one was more background and then this one we're getting sort of the two sides of the theory and the theoria together right and, and then we can then maybe next time come together and explore um because we have a lot of branches that we didn't get to uh, climb out on you know you you want to talk more about the
0: the connections to christianity and i'd love to do that with you awesome john and maybe we can uh, see about getting a third conversation player in here and really get yeah. going in the pot um, that would be fantastic i'm very open to that I, I, I love doing
1: a uh, three-way dialogue awesome great to have you on John look forward to thank the next you. one thank you so much Jacob me too let's make sure we set something up right okay I gotta jump take good care thank that you was that was thank really you. wonderful so so uh, vibrant and vital thank you